Chances are most of you have one of these in your house, a first aid kit. Now, have you ever had this experience? Somebody in the house burns themselves, cuts themselves, has a bee sting, whatever this kit can address and deal with, and you see the cut or the sting or whatever, and you immediately move into action, and your first thought is, I need to go get the first aid kit and deal with this, and if I can get the first aid kit, I can deal with this. And then you have the next thought, which is not a pleasant thought. I don't have a clue as to where the first aid kit is in this house. And so you begin to frantically run to the cupboard where it used to be kept, but it's not there. And then you go to the drawer where it was kept 10 years ago, but it's not there, et cetera, et cetera. And so you're running around crazy trying to find where is this first aid kit that could take care of the problem the whole time the blood keeps oozing or, you know, whatever the particular issue happens to be. The bee sting continues to scream, you know, the kid's crying and all that, and you're trying to frantically find the first aid kit. These things are very essential and you shouldn't have a house without them, but by the same token, we got to know where they are and grab a hold of them when the need arises. The spiritual fruit, the Holy Spirit produced fruit of goodness, is like a spiritual first aid kit. When Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, he said, Folks, love you to death. But when I look at you all, I see you biting on each other and chewing on each other. And consequently, you are emotionally and spiritually bleeding. And you need a spiritual first aid kit. And the fruits of the Spirit, in particular the fruit of goodness, is where you're going to find what you need in your spiritual first aid kit. Now, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the spiritual fruit of goodness, and then we're going to go from there and look over the book of Philippians at a man who practiced and lived it. His name was Timothy. If you'll turn to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, and as you're turning there, let's talk about these fruits of the Spirit for a moment and how Paul speaks to them in Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit, we've looked at them, love, joy, peace, patience today, kindness last week, goodness today. The fruits of the Spirit are the indication to us that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, not the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are given to us when we trust Jesus as our Savior, and I believe periodically God may change and adjust our giving, um, excuse me, our gifting, depending on where He places us and the work that He has for us to do, but the fruits of the Spirit are the way we carry out our gifting. I can be gifted and yet not operate in the fruits of the Spirit. And so my gifting can turn into something very negative. That was the case with the church in Corinth. There was perhaps no church in the early church that was highly gifted as Corinth was. They were loaded with spiritual gifts. 
The problem was they didn't have the fruit of the Spirit. So they were using their spiritual gifts to beat up on each other and to, you know, say, hey, I'm so much more spiritual than you are because I've got this gift and you don't have it. And if you want to be part of the special spiritual class, you've got to have this gift, etc. So what you and I need to really strive for and what indicates to us whether we are operating in the fullness, the filling of the Holy Spirit is whether these spiritual fruits are evident in our life. Folks, if God wants to use a church, He can use a church far greater that has the spiritual fruits in operation than a church that has a whole lot of spiritual gifts in operation. A church that makes an impact for Him is not how gifted that congregation is. It is how, pardon expression, fruity that congregation is, all right? So, over... <laughs> some of y'all are going to go home and say, our pastor told us to be fruity, all right? <laughs> Hey, it's summertime, you know, you didn't say crazy things, all right. But for us to be manifesting those fruits of the Spirit, now in Galatians chapter 5, as we've seen, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and today we're going to look at goodness. Now, goodness is an interesting fruit because the word there means to basically go out and when needed, correct and rebuke. Where kindness seeks to help people, goodness is more aggressive than that. Jesus demonstrated goodness when he cleansed the temple, and that was not a pleasant experience. When I was a boy, and I would scuff my knees up, and we had this long, windy sidewalk in front of our house, and it looked like that I stained that sidewalk with more of my blood than I knew what to do with. I was forever falling down on that sidewalk for one reason or another. And some of you that are older are going to remember what I'm about to talk about. Others of you that are younger, you will thank God you didn't live through this era. But my mother would take me to the kitchen, excuse me, to the bathroom, sit me up on the counter, and pull out this bottle of red stuff called methylate. How many of you all remember the days of methylate? All right. We have lots of victims out here this morning, okay? And she would look at me, and I would just cringe when I saw the methylate, and I would just, you know, pull it together because I knew it was going to sting and it was going to hurt like crazy. And she'd pull that stuff out and start putting that methylate on me, and it burned and it stung, and I would almost want to cry. And then she'd start blowing on my knee, you know, et cetera. Then I'd start blowing on my knee. I don't even know if blowing does any good or not, but it sure seemed like it did good. So we blew and blew. She was blowing, and I'm blowing on the methylate. You got methylate flying all over the place at that point. Well, the and mother would do that though because she says, I have got to kill any kind of bacteria that is there. Every time I put Neurosporin on something today, I thank God for it because Neurosporin does not burn and hurt like the methylate did. The spiritual fruit of goodness is like the methylate, it burns when it's applied, it hurts like crazy but it does take care of the bacteria of sin and disobedience that's in our lives. And so part of the idea of this goodness is that spiritual methylate. It's tough love when the situation calls for it. It means that when we practice goodness, we're not going to exactly be liked and loved all of the time when we practice the spiritual fruit and it's manifested in our life of goodness. And goodness does not expect to be rewarded 
when it is used and does not take offense when we are offended when it is used. Goodness is not just sitting around and not doing bad things. Goodness engages people and engages situations. I want to say that again. Goodness is not just sitting around and saying, well, I'm a good person and I'm and God's producing goodness in my life because I haven't gone out today and broken half the Ten Commandments or whatever. The idea of goodness is that I am engaging people and I am engaging situations with the divine energy that God releases in my life. It is compassion in action. When people are good and the spiritual fruit of goodness is being produced in their lives, they live a wake behind them, and that is a wake that has several different capacities. First of all, that wake confronts sin. And when sin is confronted, it is often not received well. You know, through the years that I've been a pastor, if I look into a congregation's face or into people's lives and I say nice, wonderful things that they want to hear, I'm the greatest guy since sliced bread. When I have to look into people's eyes and say, you know, hey, I, this is messed up in your life and we're just going to have to say this is wrong, etc., people don't usually look at me and say, well, can I take you out for a steak dinner? I've had a few of them want to throw chocolate pies in my face or whatever, but they usually don't say that's the most wonderful thing. Thank you so much for being my pastor and rebuking me. I just love you to death for it. I've, I don't know that I've ever heard that in 30 years of being a pastor. But the idea of, be, of goodness is that sin is confronted, but please follow me on this. The confrontation of sin in our lives, and when a person is practicing and living out goodness and sin is confronted in our lives, disobedience is confronted in our lives, that is the first step towards deliverance. Confrontation of sin in our lives is the first step towards deliverance. If a doctor is going to deliver you from an illness, he's got to confront us with the nature of the illness first. And so the only way that you and I are going to be delivered from the power of sin in our lives is that God has to confront us. And when a person practices this spiritual uh, fruitfulness of goodness and they say, hey, you need to get this changed in your life, etc., we're not going to receive it well often, but that is the first step towards deliverance. And if we will not receive it, then we're going to stay in bondage. Now, goodness is like pure spring water. It springs from a pure heart. Now, I want you to look today with me in Philippians chapter 2, Paul running to the church at Philippi. This was a church that was loyal and faithful to Paul. He writes from Rome while he's in prison, and he writes because he's concerned about the Philippians, because he says in chapter 2, you guys are too wrapped up in your own interest. you got a pride problem going on. And then he points out Timothy, and he says, I want you to look at the example of Timothy. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 19. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Now let's look at some of the descriptions that Paul gives of this young man named Timothy who was such a close associate of his. Verse 20, he says, I have no one like him. Timothy was an exception to the rule. The words like him mean equal in soul and in mind. Paul's saying, I don't have anybody in my life 
that's as close to me like Timothy is, who shares the same mind that I do, the same soul that I do, the same priorities. Now notice how he describes him again, moving on in verse 20. Who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And basically what he's saying about Timothy here is when Timothy looks at you and thinks about you and talks about you and wants to be with you and when he is with you, he is genuinely concerned for your welfare. He engages you guys. He is committed to you guys. He is going to go the distance with you folks in Philippi. He's going to be right there with you. He is committed to you through good and through bad. Timothy is not looking out for number one because he realizes that Jesus is number one and that's who he should be serving. He does not ask the question when he works with you, how does this make me feel? How does this enhance me? What does this do for me? Rather, he says, how does this honor Jesus? How does this advance the kingdom of God? And how is this good and best for the people in Philippi? Now notice verse 21 because Paul makes a pretty heavy-duty indictment here. He says, most seek their own interest. If you go to Philippians chapter 2, over in uh, verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Paul says, folks, most of us are caught up in our own interest. What's important to us, what's priority to us, what gets it for us. He says, I want you to look at Timothy. You've watched him, he's proven himself. This is a young man whose chief interest is to honor the Lord Jesus and to work with you. He's got the interest, the priorities of Jesus as his priority. He's not wrapped up in self-interest. He's wrapped up in the interest, the priorities of Jesus. Now, what are the interests of Jesus? I'd like for you to write these down. Number one, when you look at the life of Jesus, he's talking about here about the interest of Jesus. What are his interests or what are his priorities? Number one, it is to honor the Father God in all things. Jesus' foremost priority, his foremost interest, was to honor the Father no matter what. Number two, to fully live out the Father's will. To fully live out the Father's will. Over and over and over again, you see Jesus say, it is the Father's will, and this is what I'm doing. It is the Father's will, and this is what I'm going to say. It is the Father's will. He was constantly saying, my life is about the Father's will. And when we live to look out for Jesus' priorities, the question is, what does the Lord want in this? What honors God in this? What honors God in my response in this situation? What brings glory to Jesus? It's not that I walk away from a situation or a person and say, good, I got that off my chest. I walk away and say, good, Jesus was honored and glorified. And maybe instead of getting it off my chest, I just needed to surrender it to Jesus and let him take it and him run with it. What brings honor and glory to him in this situation? And if you, you, from time to time, I know all of us struggle with, Lord, I don't know what's going to bring honor and glory to you. Let me give you a hint that will help you out. 
Become a student of the book of Proverbs. Become a student of the book of Proverbs. You read that book and let it saturate into your heart, your mind, and your soul, and God will bring it up every time you need it, and He'll show you and He will teach you what brings honor and glory to the Lord. So let me encourage you that. Proverbs got 31 chapters. You read a chapter a day, you get through the whole book in a month. And just do that month after month after month and let Him just saturate your soul with that book, and it'll be amazing what God will show us and teach us. Third, recognize that the entrance of Jesus always comes with inconvenience. You can't get any more inconvenient than the cross. Jesus' life was about being inconvenienced. And if you and I are going to allow the Spirit of God to produce goodness in us and through us, then we're going to live a life that at times is going to seem very inconvenient because the will of God does not operate according to our convenience but according to His. And four, draw your strength from the Lord. You see, the reason so many of us struggle with being good and doing good is that we are running on tanks that are empty. And if I'm running on an emotional, spiritual tank that's empty or just about empty, then what I inevitably end up with is I don't have what it takes on the inside of me to be good and to do good because I'm too depleted. When you look at the life of Jesus, you'll notice often it says that very early in the morning he was alone with the Father that he withdrew from the crowd and went up into the mountains to be alone with God. What was he doing? He was getting his tank filled again. He'd been out all day long the day before doing ministry. He knew what was lying ahead of him that day in doing ministry, and he knew if he did not get alone with the Father and get his tank filled again with the presence and the power and the glory of God, he wasn't going to be able to cut it when he got down there with the folks. So he got alone with the Father. And God's first interest in you and the first priority that all of us have to set is to open our hearts and to open our minds and to say, God, fill me with who you are. Release your power in me. Put it back in my tank again, God, so that then I can go out and do ministry. One of the things we try to do in getting our teams ready to go out for mission projects, whatever they're going to be, is to say you need to spend a concentrated time of 30 to 40 days before you actually engage in the process in devotional time alone with the Lord, and we give you a devotional to do that. Why? Because we want your tank full when you get out there. Second reason is if I'm leading the team, I don't want to deal with your attitude because you haven't been alone with the Lord when I get out there. But you need to get your tank full, and after God has used you in a powerful way, You're going to be drained, so you're going to need to go and get your tank full again. Uh, One of the things that we do on shrimp is that every day of shrimp, we start the day before you get out on the projects with 30 minutes of time with the Lord. Why? So that God can refill your tank so then you can go out there and minister. But folks, if we're just trying to do it and cut it in our own ability, our empty tanks are going to mean the goodness goes out the door. And notice how he describes Timothy, because goodness is humble. Verse 22, he says, you know Timothy's proven work. He has passed the test. 
He has served with me. The word serve there, I want you to circle it. It means bond slave. He has been a bond slave with me. Now let me give you several characteristics of a bond slave in those days. A bond slave didn't have any will of his own. Whatever the master said, that's what the bond slave did. And Paul says he's been my fellow bond slave. He's basically saying the Lord's called the shots. He's got the plan. He's got the pattern. He and I have just been doing together whatever God told us to do. But let me tell you the other aspect of a bond slave. The bond slave had no will of his own, but the bond slave had no needs of his own. Because the bond slave knew that the master was committed to take care of his food, take care of his clothing, take care of his shelter. That was in Roman law what the master had to do by the bond slave. So this is the deal. Jesus, I'm going to be where you want me to be. I'm going to do what you want me to do, and I am totally available to you. But Jesus, I know that in the process of being your slave, of being totally committed to you, you're my master. I do whatever you tell me. You're going to take care of me. You're going to take care of the basic needs of my life. You're going to look after me. So I don't have to worry about that. So that frees me up to serve you. Produces humility in us. Now notice verse 22. He has been with me as a son with a father. What Paul's expressing there is that father-son relationship that he and Timothy had together. Now as I wrestled with what he meant by that, I looked at my own relationship that I had with my son who's 25 years of age, and I asked myself the question, what is it that Jonathan and I share together as father and son that would be reflective in this? And this is what I, I think he's driving at. Number one, a good, healthy father-son relationship has respect. Paul's saying he respects me. I respect him. Secondly, there is obedience there. But the father requests, son trusts and carries out. There is a sense of tremendous encouragement just by being together and hanging out together. And finally, there is humor. A good father-son relationship has a good dose of humor as part of it. I love being with my son, and I love laughing with him and us sharing humor together. And folks, when God produces humility in our lives, when the goodness is there, there's always going to be humor that goes along with it. Humility and humor go together. I'll say it again. Humility and humor go together. When I went to to become the pastor at Red Lane Baptist Church in Powhatan, not too soon after becoming the pastor there, I met a guy by the name of Bucky Collins. Bucky had worked in Boy Scout work for decades and decades. He was sort of the Boy Scout guru of Powhatan County. And when we started what was the forerunner of shrimp called the Norfolk Mission Trip, Bucky signed up to go. Now, Bucky in those days was, I guess, in his probably mid to late 60s. So I got this senior adult who has signed up to go with us to Norfolk to do missions. And I really didn't know Bucky that well, and I was like, what in the world is this guy going to be like on a mission trip? Well, he was the humor of our team. And we had a ball with him. You know all these songs that we do for Bible school and for shrimp, and we do all this choreography? Well, Bucky improvised on the choreography. He 
added choreography uh, as he did it. And we would sit and just watch him when we would be in practice sessions. And Bucky would get out in the center aisle, and he would begin to do the choreography. And then he would start his improvision of the choreography. And just about all of us were on the ground laughing, watching this guy out there doing his dances and so forth in his own way. But that was just Bucky. My teenage guys just about worshipped the ground Bucky walked on. In fact, they would go at nighttime when Bucky would lay down to go to sleep. They would go in there and gather around his bed and sing to him or whatever just to afflict Bucky, etc. And, and Bucky loved it. He just ate it up, etc. But he had that tremendous sense of humor. Bucky led his first person to Christ on an Norfolk mission trip when he was in his 60s. And the Lord just used him with a smile. And he left a wake of joy. Now let me tell you something about Bucky. Bucky had a large family. I think he had five or six children. The time I met Bucky, and everything I've just described to you, Bucky had lost two of his sons in car accidents. One of them had been, one of them had been hit in their car and killed right up the road from our church. And one of the things that I admired and learned so much from Bucky is that he carried inside of him, yes, the grief of losing two sons. I, I couldn't imagine losing one, let alone two. But he also found the healing grace of God in goodness. And he found the joy of the Lord in goodness. And he left in the wake of his life the joy of goodness. Two years ago this past December, his wife Pat called me and she said, Pastor David, Bucky's in the nursing home. They've told us he's not going to live but about another day or two. And we, when the time comes, would you come back to Palatine and share in his funeral service? And I said, it would be a privilege to do that. And I went back to Powhatan for his service, and it really was a celebration of his life. We played a vacation Bible school song at his funeral service. And team members from those years began to stand up and do the choreography in the funeral service uh, that we had shared with him. I had a sense that he was in heaven in his new glorified body joining us in that. One of my young men, uh, who uh, is a young adult now, but had been a teenager in those days, got up and shared a testimony in the service about how Bucky had impacted his life and, and done a work. The, the Boy Scouts were there and talked about the work that he had done in the county and how Bucky had impacted them. But please hear me on this. The reason Bucky had such an impact was because he was good and his goodness was seen in humility and his goodness was seen in humor. Folks, I see Christian people from time to time who can make such an impact for God and they don't because they're mad all the time about something. They think that being angry makes them spiritual. And some reason we think that being angry and ticked off means that we're going to make an impact for the Lord. When you see an angry person, what do you do? Oh, man, I can't wait to get around your anger. I just love your anger. Just, just please impact my life with your anger. I just want to follow an angry person around all day long. We don't do that. We see an angry person. What do we do? We get out of their way as fast as possible. Lord, they got attitude. I'm getting out of here. I don't want any part of that. 
When you see somebody's laughing, what do you do? I want to get in on what the laugh is about. I want to smile with them. If I'm in a restaurant and there are people over at the other table just laughing it up, I'm trying to eavesdrop in on their conversation because I want to share in what they're doing. If they're over there about getting ticked off and angry, I'm trying to pay my bill and get out of the restaurant as fast as I can, etc. And folks, what I'm saying is, let the Lord in His goodness in your life produce His divine humor People will want to come and be attracted to Jesus. And that was a powerful lesson that Bucky taught us. And that was also the powerful lesson that Bucky taught us because that day when we laid him to rest, we were laying at rest a man who knew what it was to have laid two of his sons to rest years before and never lost his joy. Let's pray. Lord, would you produce the spiritual fruit of goodness in us? And Lord, in so doing, you're going to make us humble people. And Lord, we want to ask that you would make us, Lord, people of humor. That God, you would teach us how to laugh, teach us how to smile. Lord, Teach us, in the best sense, how to enjoy life in your presence. And God, you will take our lives and use us to create a wake that brings people to you as we smile, as we laugh. And yes, God, in the tough losses of life, Lord, your healing grace can put a smile back on our face and joy in us. Lord, often when I think about those days, I think about Bucky and all that crazy choreography that he did. But I also think about how I believe now with that big smile on his face, he is dancing in your presence and laughing with you. And Lord, that was the goodness that you produced in his life that overflowed on the people around him. God, we want to be like that. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never said to Jesus, I want to follow you, Lord. I want to serve you. I want to know your joy in my life and your presence. Then I want to invite you as we sing to walk the aisle of this church, I'd be so glad to take your hand and pray with you to give your life to Jesus and choose to follow him and Know Him and serve Him. If you sense that God is saying, I want you to be part of this church family and serve me alongside the folks here, then I invite you to come. If you want to just kneel and pray, as always, the altar here is open. Feel free to come. Lord, have your way with us in these moments, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's gather and sing and come if you will.